Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Matthew 13, 1-23 Good morning, Christ Church. How are we doing? Good morning, good morning, good morning. My name is Drake, and it's a joy to be here uh, with you. Uh, We know that our God is a God who cares about all people and all places, and his eye is undoubtedly on uh, Ukraine right now. It is a very hard situation to uh, be witnessing, and uh, we, whenever there is a large number of people and a great deal of pain as a church, we look for ways that we can uh, help relieve that that pain. And uh, I don't think it's by accident that God has for uh, several years now been uh, forming a, a ministry partnership uh, between Christ Church and a ministry called Proem. Proem is in Poland and it is a neighboring country of Ukraine. This month, for the first time, you're introduced to Mac and Olivia, Olivia Johnson, who are church planners in the city of Piertikov. Proem also has, amongst their church planning initiatives, a campground, a school, and a lot of other resources that they are going to be utilizing in the next several weeks to help refugees fleeing Ukraine and have asked for our support. And we are going to give our support to them in this endeavor because we know that our God cares about all people in all places and because our God cares, we care. And so we have been working with them to figure out how we can help. This image is going to pop up on the screen. There's a QR code that you can scan if you open your uh, picture app on your phone, or you can also go to proamministries.org slash donate. When you get to that page, you can select assist Ukrainian refugees in the ministry designation section. And uh, I know that for many people in this church over the past several months, the word uh, refugee has become synonymous with the word friend as we have been engaged in the work with refugees from Afghanistan. And I know it's close to the heart of this church. And so I would employ 
uh, implore every member of this church to give generously to the work that Proem, our ministry partners in Poland, will be doing with the refugees from Ukraine. And uh, while we give money, we want to also offer up prayers to God uh, to allow him to know what's on our heart and on our minds when it comes to the situation, for he cares about that. And also to offer up um, prayers, petitions that there would be peace, that this would end, that people would be okay, and that the church would be faithful to Jesus above all else. And so for the next minute or so, I'm going to ask that you would bow your head and close your eyes and offer up a prayer to God, expressing to God uh, what's on your heart and on your mind, and also imploring God to, to bring peace to this situation and to help people who are in pain. So if you will, offer up to God a word of prayer, and then I will close us with another word. Father, we as a church ask that in this awful situation, in the invasion of Ukraine, that um, you would be glorified not by the acts of violence, but by the church and people who sacrifice to care for others. Father, we ask that you would bring peace to this situation, that you would bring restoration, that you would right wrongs. Father, we pray for the churches in Ukraine and Russia, um, a lot of suffering in their part of the world. And Father, would you use your church for your name and for the good of other people? Father, for our ministry partners in Poland, as they work to receive about 200 refugees in the coming weeks, uh, would you bless them with the donations from this church and other churches uh, to care well for the refugees? And Father, I pray that it's just for a short time that they may be able to return home. Father, we ask all this knowing that your ears turned toward us, that you hear our prayers, and we trust you and in your wisdom to do what you know is best for your glory and the good of the world. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. God cares about all people in all places, and he cares about what's happening here with this people and in this place. And uh, God has this group of people pursuing completeness in Jesus. That's the mission of Christ Church. And in this season of our life as a church, he has us in the gospel of Matthew, looking at uh, Matthew's message about King Jesus and his kingdom. If you have your Bible with you, and I hope that you do, you can turn it to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to be in verses 1 through 23. And as you're flipping your way there, I want to tell you a story. When I was in college, I was invited by a group of youth pastors to go to Portland, Oregon and preach at a conference over the weekend. They were looking for someone who was younger, close to the age of the students, and so they took a shot on a Bible college student. And I was excited to go, I was eager to go. But they asked me to preach over the course of the weekend five sermons, one on Friday, three on Saturday, one on Sunday. And they asked for each sermon to be 45 minutes long. And uh, at this point in my life, the longest talk I had ever given was maybe 15 minutes. So I was nervous. Uh, I had never done this before, but I was super excited to, to get the chance and grateful for it. 
couple of months before uh, I was at a class, a winter session, which was a week-long course at Ozark Christian College where I went to school. It was called Practical Ministry. They brought in a, a pastor from Las Vegas and one from Los Angeles to share ministry wisdom with a bunch of Bible college students. And I'm sure they shared a lot of great wisdom, but I only really remember one thing. They told us that if you're preaching multiple sermons over the course of a day or the weekend, that it is wise to snack on Lay's potato chips because the oils from the chips will uh, coat your vocal cords and make it easier on your, your voice over the course of the day or the weekend. And uh, because I wanted to, you know, use what I learned by paying thousands of dollars for education, uh, when the youth pastors at the Oregon conference asked me, is there anything we can get you in preparation for the conference? I asked for five bags of Lay's potato chips, one bag for each sermon. And I was meaning the snack size bags. They bought me the family size bags for the weekend. And because I didn't want to seem rude, I ate all five bags over the course of the weekend. And I'll tell you what, my vocal cords sounded good that weekend. I was preaching the gospel, man. But my stomach hurt so bad, so bad. And I tell you that, just to make this point, I'm not that great of a preacher. I have a long way to go when it comes to learning the craft of preaching. But Jesus of Nazareth is the greatest preacher to ever live. I'm not the first to offer that sentiment, and I surely won't be the last. He had a good work in his life, certainly, yes, on the cross, but also in the pulpit. He was a masterful teacher. We also know that he was probably a carpenter, and so I'm assuming that if he was as good at carpentry as he was at preaching, that his Etsy page would have blown up if he were doing that today. You know, he just would have been so good at it. But he's a good preacher. We know that he knew the tricks of the trade when it comes to oration, and he employed them brilliantly. Jesus at this time in Matthew chapter 13 has become a popular figure and teacher in Israel. Crowds are beginning to flock toward him, and he's one day on the shore of the lake, and people are coming to him because they want to hear him teach and to preach. And so he knows the best way to get all of the words, to all of the ears that are out there wanting to hear him talk is to push off from the shore a little bit to get into a boat because he knows that sound waves will travel better, better over water than they do land. He was brilliant at what he did, not just his tactic, but also the way in which he preached his messages. Matthew tells us that he preached and taught many things to the people in parables. A parable is a short story, often very short in some occasions, that's intended to provoke reflection on the part of the hearer. And my prayer today is that we would be obedient and reflecting on this teaching of Jesus as well. If you don't hear anything else this morning, I want you to hear this. The gospel will grow in the soil of a heart committed to Jesus. I think this is the message of the parable of the sower. But rather than take my word for it, would you listen and reflect to the words of Jesus? As he sits in the boat, he begins to teach. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Matthew says that the seed is the message of the kingdom, and we know from Luke's gospel that it's the word of God. Suffice it to say, the seed is the 
gospel of Jesus, the good news of the king and his kingdom and the soil is referring to the heart of man and woman. That the gospel would grow in good soil is the message. The parable of the sower is unique because unlike most parables, we don't get an explanation of a lot of the parables, but in this parable we do. Jesus, is, he speaks the parable to the crowd that is there and then he turns to his disciples and privately he begins to talk to them about why he teaches in parables and then he gives them the explanation of this parable, the parable of the sower. And he mentions four different snapshots in the parable. And I use the word snapshot intentionally because it's a moment in life. I think that our God is a good God who has grace with us and where we are today does not have to be where we are tomorrow. We can grow in our relationship with God and therefore the gospel will grow in us. He's having a conversation with the crowd really is what he's doing about where they are at in their spiritual formation in their relationship with God. A few weeks ago, I was uh, in Idaho and I was preaching at a youth group retreat and I was eating potato chips. This is something I like to do. And I was coming back from that. It was Super Bowl Sunday, actually. And I was, uh, had a long week of work the, the, the week before. And then I preached that weekend. And I was just tired. And I was on a late flight in Denver, was where I was making my connecting flight, going back to Tulsa. It was going to get in about midnight. And I was just tired. And I'm frustrated. And I'm sitting at the gate waiting for the boarding process to begin. And as I'm at, I'm at airports, I like to people watch. Anybody else like to people watch when you're at airports? Judging people. You know what I'm saying? Us Christians are so bad at this. I'm looking at one thing in particular when I'm sitting at the gate. I'm looking at the size of people's carry-on bags because some people, the audacity that they have to break the rules of these carry-on bag limits. I'm somebody who likes rules and orderliness for the common good of the group, and I appreciate bag limits, but some people don't. They just don't, and I hate those people. I don't hate them. I just judge them. So... I see her across the way, and there she is with somebody else in her bag. I mean, I don't know how her bag passed the check bag limits for, for good grief. It was huge. And I thought to myself, I hope I don't sit by her. But guess who I'm sitting next to on the plane, you know? I walk down the aisle of the plane, and she's sitting next to the window. My seat's next to the aisle. And I look at her, and then I look up in the storage compartment. And the thought that I had in my mind came out of my mouth. Seriously? And it, it surprised me so much. I don't know if it surprised her or me more, but I was like, I can't believe I said that. And I, and I, I looked at her, I said, I, I, I am so sorry for saying that. I, I don't know why I said that. And I sat down next to her after putting my bag in someplace that did not belong. And she was very kind and gracious about the exchange. I promise you, I'm not an unruly passenger. I don't want to start conflicts with random people on air tubes that are going to be 30,000 feet up in the air. This is not what I like to do. And so I apologized to her and she was gracious and kind about the exchange, but notably unapologetic about the size of her bag. And that bothered me. But... After takeoff, we, I, I'm listening to a podcast, I have headphones in and my eyes are closed and she reaches over and she taps me on the arm, which is like an introvert's dream, you know? Like I am giving all clues and all signals that I don't want to talk to you right now, but sure, let's have a conversation that I can't escape for two hours. And she starts bringing up like, you know, the classic conversations when you're meeting a new person and she eventually asks me, what do you do for a living? And I can't lie to her. And so I tell her I work at a church, I'm a minister there. And verbatim with a good sense of humor, she looks at me and she goes, seriously? Like that. And it was a beautiful exchange, a beautiful exchange. But as I was sitting there though in the, in the airplane, the words of Jesus came to my, my mind 
And when he said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, and something slipped from my heart that evening on the airplane, and I knew that my heart was tired, it was frustrated, it was exhausted, and that snapshot of my life in that moment is not where I wanted to be in my relationship with Jesus and, and others. And I just tell you that story so that you can judge me, but also so that you can relate to me. Because we are human and we have moments that are not God glorifying and we need to press reset and examine where our lives are and ask God to create in us a new and fresh spirit that we might glorify him and do good to those around us. And this is the parable of the sower, that we would identify where we are at in our relationship with him and that we might be spurred to growth and a greater love for him. I want to remind you that where you are today does not have to be where you are tomorrow. And the gospel will grow in the soil of a heart committed to Jesus. The explanation is something that he gives to his disciples. And because there are many disciples in this room, I think it's important to share with you. Jesus, I want, to, I want to walk through the different categories or snapshots that Jesus gives. First with the parable and then the explanation of that snapshot. This is the first he says, as the farmer was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and they ate it up. In an explanation, Jesus says to his disciples, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. That is the seed sown along the path. In the first century, it was a very agrarian culture, agrarian society, a farmer, there were a lot of them, they would go and they would, they would scatter or sow their seeds, and they intended to throw their seed onto the good soil that it might take root and grow and produce a crop, but some of that seed would fall on a path. I think God includes this, or Jesus includes this, in the telling of the story of the sower as a testament to God's grace. Peter reminds us in 2 Peter verse, chapter 3, verse 9, that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And this may be a little bit nerdy of me, but the literary context of this story is important. Jesus, he's, he's telling the story, and there's a couple of Greek words that he uses to describe the action of the sower and of the seed, to describe the action of God and of the word of God. To describe the action of the, of the sower, he uses the word sparrow, which is to, to throw out, to scatter. And in the, in the way that he uses it in every situation along every snapshot when it comes to the path or among the rocky soil or among the thorns or among the good soil, it is the same word. It is consistent. And the same is true of the action of the seed. The Greek word is pipto. And it is to say that it fell. It's not that important of a word, but it is a consistent word that Jesus uses in his telling of the story. And I think he's consistent with it because he wants to proclaim the message that the word of God, the, the, the gospel, the, the message of the kingdom is for all people, no matter what soil or condition they find themselves in. For God is a God of grace and he wants everyone to come to repentance. He's a good God. But we have an enemy and he's mentioned in this snapshot. Jesus tells us that Satan's mission is to steal and kill and destroy life. One of Satan's easiest targets is those who do not have, the gospel hasn't taken root in their heart. And so if you're sitting in the room today, I want you to know this. God loves you. He is gracious with all of us. 
and he wants you to have a relationship with him. And we have to be committed to him or the enemy will come and he will snatch away what God is sowing in our hearts. And so my encouragement to those of you who have not initiated a relationship with Jesus or rather responded to his initiation is to confess him as Lord and be baptized into his name and begin spiritual practices like Bible reading and in prayer that you might grow in your relationship with God, that the gospel might take root in your heart and that the enemy might have a terrible time at snatching it away. If this is you today, I would love to encourage you to talk with one of the pastors or, or, or volunteers that are gonna be at the tables at the end of the sermon or out in the prayer center. The second snapshot that Jesus gives is among the rocky ground. He says, some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. And in explanation, when speaking to his disciples, he said, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. I saw this scenario a lot of times in youth ministry. For five years, I was a student minister here. We would go to camps and conferences, and one particular year, this happened every year, but with one particular student, I remember he, he decided that he wanted to follow Jesus, and he went down front, and he confessed Jesus as the Lord, and then he was even baptized when we got back home. And then, just a couple of weeks later, I heard that he was out drinking and partying with his friends again, going back to his old way of life. And I was just perplexed. I was confused. Like, man, you had such an outward expression of joy you wanted this. You desired a relationship with God. What happened? And what had happened was his outward expression did not match his inner conviction. And when the pressures and the temptations came from the world and from his old set of friends, he quickly fell. Is this where you're at? I mentioned a student, but it can happen to adults as well. I mean, it's true that most young people practice the patterns of older people in their life. I'm sure there are adults in the room today who relate, and I just want you to know that God loves you, and he is gracious with you, and he wants you to grow from where you are now into the good soil. And so if this is where you are at, if you're new in the faith, would you just pray to God that the joy you're experiencing will be matched with the conviction that the gospel and the gospel alone is worthy of your affection, of your commitment. The third snapshot is among thorns. Jesus is teaching the parable and he says this, other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. In an explanation to his disciples, he said, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Psychology Today did a report on what most people worry most about. The top of the list, you won't be surprised, is relationships. Am I known? Am I loved? Where do I fit in in social circles? Have you ever struggled with this? I have. Second on the list is finances. Will I make enough this month to cover the bills? Will I be able to afford fill in the blank? I mean, money can become a God in both situations, in worry and deceit. Some worry that they won't be able to afford 
this or that. Others are deceived into worshiping the false god of money because they're so convinced that they can afford everything they will ever need. Neither is gospel-centered. Neither is focused on Jesus. Third on the list is the future. What does my future hold? Students wondering if I will go to college or where will I go to college or what vocation will I pursue? College students wondering if they're going to get married like the rest of their friends. People in life just wondering if their marriage will make it, if their kids are gonna be okay. People who are ready to be empty nesters wondering if their kids will ever move out, you know? All kinds of people in this room with all kinds of worries, all kinds of pains and problems, all kinds of deceit. The enemy is working in this soil as well to try and get you to be worried so that you're not focused on Jesus or be deceived into worshiping something else so that you're not worshiping Jesus. Among thorns. When I was in college, I memorized Psalm 73, verses 25 and 26. The psalmist writes, Whom have I in heaven but you, and earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Whether in worry or deceit, we will not be strayed by either. We will be committed to Jesus, for he alone is worthy of our affection. The fourth snapshot is among good soil. In his teaching, Jesus says, still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. In an explanation to his disciples, he said, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. And this is obviously the soil that we should be striving for. This soil represents a person that is committed to Jesus. And let me remind you that the gospel will grow in the soil of a heart committed to Jesus. Earlier I told you that where you are today does not have to be where you are tomorrow. And the flip side is true. Where you are today does not guarantee that you'll be there tomorrow. Let's not be so arrogant or prideful to think that we have arrived. For the enemy is still working to steal, kill, and destroy our lives. And if we are not wholly committed to Jesus, if we give him an inch, he'll take a mile. This is the parable of the sower and the explanation thereof. And it begs the question, well, if the gospel grows in the soil of a heart committed to Jesus, how do I till the soil of my heart? For I want the gospel to grow. I want to know God. I want to be committed to Jesus. And Jesus really doesn't give an answer in the parable or the explanation. But we know that scripture interprets scripture. And the New Testament gives great commentary on the gospels. Paul is an apostle. He's a church leader. And he writes in many places to many churches on the Christian life and how, how to live the Christian life. Paul in the church to Galatia, in Galatia is writing about the conflict between the flesh and the spirit. The flesh, which is the old self, ruled by sin, and the spirit, which is the new self, ruled by Jesus. He says they're in conflict with one another so that we're not to do whatever we want. And he implores the church in Galatia, and I would echo it to you. He says this in Galatians 5.16, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
And then Paul lists different vices and sin which lead to death. And he also lists examples of fruit that is produced by the Holy Spirit in people. And then to capstone it, he says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And I share this encouragement to the church in Galatia with you to show you that we have an active part to play in our relationship with Jesus in tilling the soil of our heart. The Christian life has often been described as a battlefield, a place where good and evil clash for our attention and our affection. And it's true that there are forces in the heavenly realms, unseen and seen, who, who want our commitment to them. But the battlefield analogy falls short in that a battlefield is passive and we are not passive in the situation. We get to choose evil or good. We get to choose death or life. We get to choose the enemy or choose Jesus. We have a part to play. And let me encourage you, like Paul encouraged the church in Galatia, keep in step with the Spirit. And if you do so, the gospel will grow in your heart, for you have been tilling your heart that is committed to Jesus. And where you are today will not be where you are tomorrow. What I'm not talking about is behavior modification. I'm talking about opening ourselves up to God that he might do a good work in us and that the gospel might take root in our hearts and grow for his glory and the good of the world. This is what Jesus is proclaiming about the kingdom, that the kingdom will come and reign in every man and woman and child who opens themselves up to God for his glory and the good of the world. A couple of weeks ago was my birthday and I really wish more of you would have wished me a happy birthday. Kind of hurt my feelings. I'm kidding, kind of. But as, as many of you do, I suppose I was in the same boat. I, I was reflecting on the year I had just lived and looking forward to the year I was about to live. And uh, my life over the past couple of years has been crazy. I've had a job change from student ministry to missions ministry. I've had two young kids who are just crazy. And my life has changed. And it's exhausting now, and it's great, but it's tiring. And I just realized that some of the spiritual disciplines and practices that I had in my life had been slipping because I was so tired and so consumed with these new responsibilities in my life. And after conversations with friends and prayer, I decided to commit to several different spiritual disciplines over the next course of the year because I don't want to be where I was tomorrow. And I don't want to be where I am yesterday, and I don't want to be where I am today. I want to be a man that is rooted in God, and God produces fruit from the gospel in my life for his glory and the good of the world. And I know that I'm not the only one in this room. I want to pause for a moment because I told you that the purpose of a parable is to reflect on the meaning of the parable. And I've given you the explanation that Jesus gave his disciples. And now I have two questions for you. The first of which is, which snapshot best describes this current moment in your life, the season of your life? Are you along the path? Are you among the rocky ground or among the thorns? Or are you in good soil? My, my plea to you is to be honest with yourself. Like the psalmist says, examine your heart. Deceiving yourself will not bear fruit for the gospel. 
So are you among the path, the rocky ground, the thorns, or good soil? Where you are today does not have to be where you are tomorrow. The second question is, who's somebody in your life that you can talk about about the current snapshot that you see in your life? Part of the process that I did after examining my heart was talking to several of my friends about where I'm at in my life and how they think I should grow. I would encourage you, if you're committed, especially into a small group or a Ruta group or something like that, to talk to the people that you're close with who follow Jesus. If you feel alone, then man, I would encourage you to talk to one of the pastors or elders or volunteers at the tables in the back or in the prayer center, in the lobby. Now you might be wondering, okay, I know where I'm at, I know who I need to tell, but what do I do? I mean, our church, there's a, there's a team on our staff and volunteers who have been working hard on a resource of discipleship called Pathways. Pathways is something that is going to bless this church. It's going to help this church grow. It's going to help this church become rooted in the gospel. I want to ask you to turn your attention to the screens and check out this video about Pathways. It is our desire that you would experience completeness in Jesus. To be complete in Jesus, you must believe who Jesus is. To experience completeness in Jesus, you must believe what he believes. Beliefs pour forth from the center of our hearts and inform both what we desire and how we live. Pathways, or spiritual disciplines, are not tasks to make you holy. They are a meeting place where you can be with the Holy One. It is only in communion with God that our beliefs are changed, our desires are reordered, and our actions become holy. We've created this online resource so that you can engage the three major pathways God has given to experience life with Him, all of which can be enjoyed in diverse ways and at different depths. The first of these pathways is through the Bible. Sometimes people can feel like they only get information from the Bible instead of transformation. We've provided multiple ways you can interact with God's Word, whether you choose to go through a Bible reading plan, study it in depth, or learn about it through resources or classes. Our hope is that time in Scripture fosters relationship with God instead of just information about Him. The next pathway God has given us is prayer. God loves when we talk about Him, but even more when we talk to Him. This page is filled with ways to speak with God, both for those who are just beginning the conversation and for those who are looking to integrate new forms of dialogue. Whether it's praying through traditional practices of the past like the Psalms or articulating your own words in a journal, speaking with God aligns our hearts with His and allows us to join the work He is doing. The last pathway we are highlighting is community. Community is more important than ever and also sometimes the hardest to find. This page not only shows you what happens in Christian community, but also how we go about sharing it. Whether it's rooted, small groups, mentorship, or simply gathering with our church body, community invites God to use our relationships to grow deeper with each other and with Him. These resources are available for anyone seeking to experience the completeness in Jesus that comes with trusting in Him. If you don't know where to begin, we have an assessment that you can take that will lead you to some specific resources that will challenge your thoughts, your feelings, and your behaviors to be in alignment with God and in relationship with Him. Whether you're exploring who God is or growing in your relationship with Him, God wants to be with you. 
So visit us at cco.church pathways to learn more. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.